All right, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Joining us now, former athletic director at BYU, Rondo Feldberg, here on The Big Show. Rondo, hello. How are you? Hello, Jake. I'm fine. I'm feeling great. We I'm heard a, sitting so, in a chair that does not squeak. <laughs> well, me too. Me too. Hey, we heard a rumor that you climbed Mount Nebo yesterday. I did. I did with uh, uh, a son and two nephews and one nephew's wife. Wow, I bet it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It, I, I think the view from up there is, I mean, Timpanogos is really pretty, and it's a pretty mountain, and the view is pretty, but I think Nebo is prettier from the top. Hmm. Wow. Okay, you just stirred a, a bit of a controversy down in Utah County, because don't they argue over those two, which one of those mountains is actually higher? Well, yeah, I mean, Nebo has two summits. One summit is about the same height as Timpanogos. The other summit's a little bit higher than Timpanogos, and it is sort of recognized as the highest mountain on on the Wasatch Range. But but the, the, the Timpanogos is sort of the icon and by far the most recognized. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, Rondo. I uh, I took my toddler on a hike to Donut Falls, and I'm feeling like that just doesn't quite live up here. <laughs> hey, you don't sneeze at that, Jake. That's that's pretty country too. I will. I will tell you, it Donut Falls is really a cool hike, and the fact that you did it with your own little one is the big deal in all of it. You establish that habit while they're young, and when you're an old man like Rondo, they'll be taking you up those hikes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, Rondo, one time I went on a hike with uh, a couple of my daughters and my wife, and there was the last little part of it, you could take a shortcut. The problem was that the shortcut was quite vertical, and it was mm-hmm. uh, sort of loose rock. And uh, w- someone uh, decided that we should take the shortcut and uh, make a long story short. On, on the one in front of me, my wife was pulling me and behind me, I think one or two of my daughters were pushing me up, up the uh, steep part. So uh, I, I, if I did what you did yesterday, I would be sore today. Are you? Well, I, I I wouldn't say I'm sore, but I know I hiked a, a, a you know a big mountain yesterday. I know that <laughs> it it's a it's a whole different world. I'll tell you one. I, I mean, I am the guy I used to poke fun of years ago, <laughs> and and it is surprising to me. Uh, I mean, when they say old age is not for sissies, they're not kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Rondo Felberg is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, Rondo, you've, you've sat in the, the chair, the AD's seat. You've had that experience. What would it be like to have that job during the COVID-19 pandemic? It can't be easy. Well, first, let me just say that I, uh, I think anything I would say is a guess because there really aren't any precedents or any rules for what they're having to deal with. It's so new. Um, I mean, I have spoken with with Tom and with Brian and with those guys down there. I've, I've been down there to kind of 
see what's going on, which is very little, by the way, and and the precautions they have to take. I mean, it really is unprecedented, and and I've tried to imagine how I would have handled it, and 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 how I would be handling it. And to, to be honest, I'm not sure I know. Um, there are some things you know for sure, and so, that is. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say some things you know for sure, and that is that that by the very nature of what athletes do, there has to be physical contact, um, and, and social distancing is not something athletes are able to do if they're going to prepare and compete. Um, and so they have to figure out some things, that they can do to, um, on the one hand, exercise care and not be sort of stupid about things, but on the other hand, accept that you either are or you aren't going to compete. So, Rondo, how do you balance the welfare of the athlete with the welfare of the budget and of financial concern? Well... I mean, clearly there's a financial concern, and and it's naive to pretend that that's not a big issue, especially uh, with football and, to a certain extent, also with men's basketball. The other sports have always uh, sort of just managed in spite of economics, <laughs> um, but those sports rely heavily on uh, the economic side of the equation. Um, and I don't think you can ignore that. At the same time, there are some other realities that I don't think are that obvious. I mean, I was talking with Tom, for example, and he said something that I hadn't even thought of before. But, but as I thought about it, I, I said, you know what? He is spot on. In other words, he said, Rondo, I think our athletes are safer here working out with us than they would be if they were home. He said, because if they were home, they'd be out all working out, trying to find their own workout regimens. They wouldn't have near the kind of quality control we have. We have our trainers. We have our doctors. We're able to check these kids every day and several times during the day if we need to. We are able to control so many more of the variables than they would control or could control if they were home. They're better with us than they are at home. That's not something that I had even thought about. Rondo Felberg with us, and, and kind of on that same note, talking about standards, right, safety standards, those sorts of things, and knowing sure. how intercollegiate athletics work. Gordon and I were talking about this earlier today. How difficult would it be to get everybody on board for a, a same, you know, a, a standard that goes across Division One football? I, you know, you think about the NBA and doing the bubble. Well, it's easy for them to say, well, here are the rules, and we agree with the terms, and salaries are there, go. That's got to be so much more complicated dealing with not only universities, but in public universities in a lot of cases. You're right. It is. And, and then imagine this. In, add to everything you've just said the fact that you have a conference. Look at, look at BYU in, in its basketball conference. The West Coast Conference has multiple states. 
many different communities that are in very different situations with respect to how their local leadership has dictated what they can and cannot do. And so in some areas, they've got one set of rules, and in other areas, they've got different rules. BYU, for example, has much less restrictions than the California schools have. And, and, and so how can a conference sort of work together and have a set of rules that work for everybody in the conference when they are subject to very different guidelines and restrictions imposed by their political leadership? So it's a, it's a very complicated situation. So if if the Pac-12 is going to do it were if it were tempted to do conference only games in football Rondo and BYU has three different uh, I am I remember, remember Arizona State Stanford and Utah is that on those are the three Pac-12 that I'm thinking of right now if BYU is playing those teams could they match their standards to what the Pac-12 standard is as long as the political leadership is is on the same page Oh, oh, sure. Sure they could. That wouldn't be the hard thing. The hard thing would be Arizona's in a different situation than California, which is in a different situation than Oregon and Washington in terms of their restrictions, in terms of what they can and can't do. Um, And so some of them are going to get to practice more than others, or in theory they could. And some of them are going to be prohibited from gatherings of a certain number, and others are not. And so it's going to be real hard for them to do that. BYU, I think, is in a better situation than most. Rondo Phil, uh, Philberg, uh, former BYU athletic director with us here on The Big Show. I uh, want to take you through a hypothetical, Rondo, and, and maybe take advantage of your legal background a little bit. If, if say, a, a Big Sky school was contracted to play a Pac-12 school, let's say you know, just Weber State was, was scheduled to play Utah, and the Pac-12 decides that they're going to do no non-conference games, so Utah therefore cancels the game with Weber State, how tricky is that legally? And can they do that? Would they Oh, Weber, a payout? Does it depend on the case? I mean, what I would imagine the Big Sky team would would fight for its payday. How 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 does that work? It would depend on the contract that they had. Um, the contracts that we entered into are pretty detailed, and while they uh, when they were entered into, I'm sure weren't envisioning some sort of coronavirus scenario. They were envisioning a number of scenarios in which they might not play the game. And so that's all taken care of by contract. The the interesting thing, though, is that um, these contracts have, uh, in the last decade, changed pretty dramatically from when I was athletic director. Not that the wording is so much different, but but the way the universities have dealt with them has changed quite a bit. Um, when I was athletic director, we managed most of our contracts ourselves, and routinely I would send them up for BYU's general counsel to review, um, and they'd be sent back to me. I don't ever remember any uh, contracts being changed uh, by the general counsel's office. 
that's a whole different thing now. And, and I'm sure it's at the same at other schools, but at BYU, and I'm just aware of BYU at this point, at BYU we have got several lawyers in the general counsel's office where I believe there were, oh, I think, maybe three or four total when I was AD. And now there are so many more lawyers, and those lawyers in the general counsel's office watch over all of that stuff now. It's just a completely different deal. Earlier, Rondo, you were talking about how what Tom Homo told you about how the, the environment might be safer for student athletes than it would be elsewhere. Well, they that's true when they're within the confines. But then when they go home, right, and they're college students, right, and then they have associations, and then who knows what gets picked up from where, and then they come back in. Uh, Two questions in regard to that. One is, how many have to test positive before you think it would affect uh, the the actual playing of a game? And uh, the the other one is, well, uh, let me ask that one first. How many, how many, in your judgment, would uh, put in peril a game actually being played? Well, um, it would depend on the sport and, and how many athletes are involved. Uh, clearly, basketball would be a different number, but perhaps not a different ratio than football. Um, uh, at the same time... Um, I, I would think that those those athletes would be tested every single day, every single practice, maybe more than once at a practice. And so I would think they'd be watching that very, very carefully. Um, I I think that we... We had a situation recently that I I think I heard something in the press where a certain number of athletes tested positive and so the game was, was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I think I heard that just recently. That would be one of those so, tough decisions that somebody has to make. Yeah. On, uh, the, other, yeah, the, other, yeah, the, the other question I wanted to ask you is, would, how would you justify playing football if students aren't on campus? Well, let's assume there, there, there are more than one there's more than one scenario here, Gordon. One is students aren't on campus, but school's in session, and they've got some sort of modified um, uh, program where, they, where, where school is being conducted online, and some of the laboratory experience may be going on and some of the other things, but normal lectures aren't happening, or maybe only some portion of them are happening. That's, that's different than them just saying, sorry, we're not going to hold school. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I think, I think they would have to evaluate that. But I think everybody knows that... Um, that these games, especially football in the fall, um, are a lot about a lot more than just the fans sitting in the seats. That's clearly the most visible 
thing, and it's a big deal. But there's just so there are so many other things that are that are going on uh, that have to do with how students identify with their college experience, even if they don't ever go to a football game, it still is part of what they kind of in their mind identify as their college experience. Want to switch gears a little bit with you, uh, Rondo, and get your thoughts on the the growing movement to uh, compensate players for their image and likeness and where do you think this is headed and if it's a good thing? Well, that is so far beyond anything I imagined. I mean, I'm one of these guys who was so old-fashioned and so naive that I actually thought that we were doing these kids a favor. I thought I was being given a huge favor, and uh, the fact that they were giving me a scholarship and sort of gifting me my education while I was an athlete, I felt like I was the most privileged person in the world. And I felt like I was the richest person in the world, not because I ever had any money, because I never saw any money, but, but, but my education was being provided for me. And I couldn't imagine any greater payday than that in my mind. So this whole idea of now paying them because they're bringing revenue to the university and stuff is something that I suppose over time became inevitable. But it's just not something I ever considered while I was an athletic director. Hmm. Another tough one, uh, Rondo. Do you, with with the social movement, with the uh, racial uh, equality movement, do you think that BYU will face difficulty based on some of the positions taken by? by Brigham Young back in the day. Uh, I, I know it's a different day now, but do you think that's something that the school and, and, and the athletic teams, uh, any kind of resistance that they'll face uh, in that regard? I'm sure they will. Um, I, I'm, I'm certain when you look at how these, um, how these movements flow, I'm certain someone will take advantage of that and use that against BYU in a way that will be very challenging. I don't know what the outcome of that will be. I've been very impressed in recent years with how the LDS Church uh, and BYU have managed that and and sought to kind of get out ahead of it. But it is a reality that is there that is, I, I'm certain, going to be used against them. Um, and I, people at a lot higher pay grade than mine are going to be making decisions about how to deal with that. But I don't know that there is an easy solution because the history is clear, um, clear there, and and you know, uh, one of the challenges that all of us are having to deal with is we are being we and our sort of um, our forefathers and those generations that came before us are being judged and scrutinized through the lens of current understanding and sensitivity 
understanding and sensitivity which didn't exist at the time when those policies were in place and those decisions were being made. And, and um, that's a tough one. Yeah, but, it, I'm, I, but I'm sure it's going to be real. I, I ask you this follow-up question because I respect your opinion, Rondo. If you were, if your advice was was being sought as far as what could be done moving forward to to improve this situation, how how aggressive would you get in that regard? Uh, I think BYU has done a good job of managing that within the context of the situations they've been facing. Um, I think that athletes uh, of color, athletes of every ethnicity, have been uh, treated in, in a way at BYU where they feel like they're just like everybody else and there's no lines being drawn, no distinctions. They're not being treated either as um, some sort of uh, sacred symbol worthy of special treatment or treated like in any way a second-class citizen. So I think that all of that has been done very well. Having said that, um, I've been surprised at some of the directions these protests have taken, and I, and I have to say I uh, I wasn't I wouldn't have been prepared uh, to manage uh, some of these situations. They they're very difficult. Um, you, you need smart people like Gordon Monson. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Look, anybody that's raised a whole house full of daughters has wisdom beyond belief. Yeah, well, when 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 BYU administrators give me a call, Rondo, to ask my opinion, that that's the day I'll call you and uh, and, and get some more solid advice from you. So. Yeah. Well, I I've, I mean the thing that is the the the, the movement in college athletics toward professionalism and toward paying the athletes for their likeness and for their uh, for their performance um, is a is a sea change in uh, I think in athletics at the collegiate level and and the genie's out of the bottle and it isn't getting back in. Well, Rhonda, we really appreciate you jumping on with us as always. It's great to hear your voice. Thanks for coming on and uh, and uh, sharing your perspective on this stuff. We really appreciate it. You are welcome, gentlemen. Have a great day. Back at Thanks, you, Rhonda. Rondo Felberg, former athletic director at BYU, with us here on The Big Show. You know, when Rhonda was the athletics director at BYU, he was pretty outspoken and very direct in, in some of his – positions that he took and uh, there were times when i would listen to him and i would think man that's that's fairly progressive uh and and strongly stated and that's one of the reasons i admire now you don't have to agree with every opinion that he had but i like the way he was willing to step right out and uh and, and express that thought i do remember one time i went down to byu to do a feature article on on Rondo and we went out to eat 
and he took me to Supreme Burger or whatever it's called down there. That's where we ate. That's Supreme Burger. I think what? that's what it's called. Well, what what are you saying as opposed to like a like a nice steakhouse or something? Where would you where were you expecting to go? <laughs> I'm Gordon Mott. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> hey man, what were you expecting? A burger is one of my favorite meals, but I just it's, thought that was funny. It kind of sounds like you're up, putting it down. Uh, not at all. It reminded me of the time when, when Lavelle Edwards took Lance Reynolds. I've told you this story. When uh, Lance had just been recruited by Cal and and the coach showed up in a rented Porsche and took him out to the nicest restaurant in town or whatever as a part of the pitch. And Lance's uh, dad was a BYU fan, so we called up Lavelle and said, Lavelle, if you want my son to play for you, you better get up here. And the next day, Lavelle shows up in a Volkswagen Bug and takes him to the McDonald's. It was across the street from the old Cottonwood Mall. Takes him into the McDonald's, and he turns to Lance, and he says, order anything you want. Well, first of all, it's pronounced Porsche. And second of all, isn't a VW basically a Porsche? No. They're different It's the same company. Entities. It's the same motor. But now, if that's true, then you could pick uh, the cheapest Chevy you could buy and say, and compare it to the Corvette, and say, hey, it's made by the same company. Still a Chevy, right. Doesn't make it the same car. And the Beetle's still a Porsche, correct. Uh, all right. <laughs> More straight ahead on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.